You can go ahead and have a seat, church. How are you doing this morning? Oh, thank you, Aaron. That was, that was a beautiful song. It is good to be in God's house this morning. Is your soul satisfied in the Lord alone? What a question as we ponder uh, the goodness of God and as we prepare for worship through God's word this morning and the teaching of God's word. Uh, is our soul satisfied with all the world has to offer? Are we satisfied in God alone? Um, thank you, Aaron. I appreciate that. My name is Tyler. I'm the youth and families pastor here at the church at Newtown Road. And it is good to be in God's house on this beautiful fall Sunday morning. Um, if you are here in person or if you are tuning in online, Facebook, YouTube, we're glad that you're here. And I want to say welcome to you. Um, if it's your first time, we would love for you to fill out a communication card so that we have the information we need to get you information you need. Uh, and you can do that either in the comments section if you're uh, online or you could do it on your church center app. Uh, we'd love for you to download that app, which uh, is, is one of the best ways our church has of updating you with things going on, the church center app. Now, I've got a couple quick announcements this morning. Um, number one, I want to remind families that our kids' service is during the second service. And so if you're here this morning, uh, praise the Lord. That's awesome. Um, but you're welcome to come back and join us uh, during the second service. And if you're here this morning, you're not going to be there, pray for our kids' ministry program and pray that God uses that in the lives of our children. Pray for the team that's putting that on uh, as it's a big endeavor to do this uh, during this season of life. Uh, and then this Wednesday, our youth ministry program uh, continues 6.30 to 8.30, grades 6 to 12. And so uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that if you are in uh, that age range. Or if you know someone that is, pass the word or, along to them, um, church. And then I have a really exciting announcement this morning. Are you ready for this? I, lo I love it when smiles just light up the room, all right? Here's the deal, right? Um, for the past decade, our church has run a, an amazing trunk or treat program, right? It's been amazing. Um, we are so proud of our church for what they have done uh, and how they have reached out into the communities. And the goal of our trunk or treat has always been outreach. It's been to reach people, uh, to give them a glimpse of the gospel and the love that we have for people to be the hands and feet of, of, our, of, of Jesus to our communities and our families. And so as a church, we began asking really tough questions, right? Which is always good when you're evaluating and reevaluating and looking forward to what God has in store for our church uh, in this next season and in the years to come. And one of those questions is, uh, are we accomplishing the goal for, for Trunk or Treat that we've set out to accomplish? And is there a better way to do that? So, <clears throat> I know, I know. We said, what if, right? what if, instead of asking communities and neighbors and families to come all the way over here to get some candy and to have a great time and to see smiling faces, what if, we equipped and we resource our church, individuals, couples, families, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in their communities. Okay? 
what if we sent you out and we went to people, right? And, and, we, and we fulfilled the Great Commission by going. And so uh, this is what we have come up with for this year. Are you ready for this? I know, I know. You're ready. I can see it. You're just so excited. I'm, I, I truly am very excited about this. I think uh, uh, it will expand the outreach potential. And our church is so amazing at what they do when it comes to smiling and engaging with people and families that I have no doubt that you're going to hit this one out of the park. All right, church? We are looking for 20 to 25 ambassadors for our church. Okay? And what those ambassadors will be is we want them preferably placed uh, in different neighborhoods or high-trafficking trick-or-treat areas. All right? And we want you to then do a trunk or treat at your house. And what we mean by that is we want to resource and equip you with what you need to engage your neighbors and your community uh, by being a light for the gospel. And if you, individually, a couple, a family, maybe you want to grab another family that's in your neighborhood and partner with them, come together, we want to kit you out with what you need to represent our church in your community. We will give you a yard sign that says, I love my church, or something like that. It might have Pastor Duke's face on it. It's a, all right? Maybe, it, it might not, okay? It might not. It's a, we want to give you gear, like a sweatshirt, to wear. We want to give you bags of candy, and not just, not just candy, but good candy. You know what I'm talking about. Those full bars of candy. Whew. We want to give you information about our church that you can hand to people. And we're really thinking about how to do a competition for families that you can hand them a postcard with a QR code or a website, and they can sign up for a competition with their family uh, to be a part of. So yard signs, gear, information, candy. And we want you, as families, individuals, to go to the end of your driveway to set up a table. And as people trick-or-treat on Halloween night, we want you to give them the love of Jesus. And not by, not by necessarily preaching the gospel at them at that moment, although you can if the Holy Spirit leads. But we want you to be able to be a light in your community for the gospel. We want them to see you and affiliate your house and your location with our church. And so we want to, uh, we need you for two things, all right? We need families or individuals, couples, uh, anyone that's in a good location. We want you to sign up to be an ambassador for our church during this Halloween, all right? And we want you to be willing to smile, to talk to, to parents and families and kids as they go by, to tell them our, our church cares for their family. Here's some, here's some candy and some information. If you have any questions, let me know. All right? So we need 20 families to do that. But we also need a load of candy. Because we want to be able, as a church, to provide that candy for you to give out so you don't have a big expense to do that. Um, and our student ministry is going to put those bags of candy together. And so over the next couple weeks, we're asking that our church bring in good candy, all right, and you can bring it in, you can drop it in baskets as you check in uh, on Sunday mornings. We need your help, church. Do you think we can do this? 
Okay. Are you excited about this? Okay. We want you to do a chunk or treat in your neighborhood is what we want. And we believe that God can use that to reach even more people than if we have it here. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Pastor Matt to uh, come up this morning. It's good to be in God's house. Uh, let's continue to worship him through uh, his word. Thank you, Tyler. I'm really excited about this opportunity. Just be, just be aware that we need good candy. If you come with snack-sized candy, I'm going to pilfer it and eat it. So, um, so if that's your plan, let's go for Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, please. Those are my favorites. And if you bring the small ones, we will not be giving those out to the community, but those will go to our pastor's uh, fund. And uh, Tyler and I have our own personal stash downstairs. All right, thank you so much for being here. Aaron, thank you for leading us in worship today. So good to see your faces on this beautiful fall morning. There's something just powerful about the gathering of Christ's church. Even when we're masked up and a, and a few feet away from each other, it's still a gift to be able to be together and to encourage one another and to sing together. I told you the thing I missed most about shutdown was singing together and hearing the voices of God's people because there's something, there's just like this foretaste of heaven. We used to sing that in an old song, the foretaste of heaven and God's glory divine as, as the church sings because looking at the Bible, that's what we have to look forward to. There is coming a day when people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be gathered around the throne of, of God and will be singing praises to the Lamb. And, and so as we gather in God's house, we, we kind of give ourselves a, a, a precursor of what's to come. There's a reason that it encourages the saints' hearts so much to sing together. It's not just because we love music, because some of us don't. But my goodness, when the voices of God's people are lifted together, is there something that warms, or reminds us of home in some way, you know? But there's also something that wasn't lost on me this week in preparation. Our, our passage today in Mark chapter 12 takes us into a pretty relevant topic during this election cycle. That is this, that, that here's what was not lost on me, that the Lord is good to us in that he uses our plans and our convictions about Bible exposition, and he actually leads us to these passages to connect with our real lives today, even when we started this a year ago and had no idea that we'd be in this place at this moment right now. And as, as a, you know, my own personal teaching style is more of that Bible expositor, I've seen now over the years how, how decisions to plow methodically through books actually lead us right where we're supposed to be at, right, at just the right time. That the Spirit is good enough and merciful enough to work alongside of some of those plans. Today's one of those examples as we consider the tension that exists between our allegiances to two kingdoms. The kingdom of this world, the state, and the kingdom of God. And aren't you glad you don't have my job today, right? How do we strike the balance and deal with the tension that exists between allegiance to the state and allegiance to the kingdom. We're going to turn in our Bibles today to Mark chapter 12. We pick up right where we left off last week. Jesus is in Jerusalem for the final week of his ministry in a very public way, declaring who he is, and he's teaching in the temple and getting some good heat for it. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? 
But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Let's pray. Lord, we've already had a wonderful moment with you today as we've lifted our voices and our hearts together and declared your gospel truths over our lives and over our assembly. God, your presence is in the praise of your people. You've promised that it would be. So we sense that you're here among us. We ask that for the continued understanding of your presence through the Holy Spirit's ministry, through the word of God, through the songs of the saints, that you would just encourage our church family as we've come and gathered here. God, we pray for your wisdom and your understanding as we look to the scriptures, especially with a difficult topic in the middle of an election cycle. God, give us, give us the peace of Christ and a calmness of heart that we might hear and sense what you're leading us to do. And God, the, the passage leads us to note the disunity and division in our country today. Seems like it's at a fever pitch. Somebody is obviously uh, seeking to divide us. And Lord, I pray that you would bring unity, especially in your church. That your followers, your disciples, your people, your ambassadors would be people who submit to a primary allegiance to the kingdom of God. And God, I pray that that allegiance would mark us more than anything else in this world. God, I pray that you'd bring unity and peace to your church. And from that position of being a light in the community, that we would take that and minister to our neighbors and loved ones and friends. I pray that your people would have a rested confidence in your sovereign hand over the nations. God, you know exactly what's going to happen November 3rd, and none of it surprises you. So Lord, I pray that we would have a rested confidence and that it would inspire our, our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones to seek that same confidence in your power and your wisdom. Give us your grace today as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Mark chapter 12, 13 through 17, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. That's the big statement today. We probably heard that a lot too. We've, we've tried to use that as often as is appropriate in our own lives and in the church life, the, being part of the leadership team here. We've had to, especially in late days, later, the latest days, we've had to really ask that question, how do we render to Caesar what is Caesar's and how do we still hold fast to give God what is God's? Let's start today with a loaded or a leaning question or leading question. This this small group that comes to ask Jesus this question is trying to go somewhere with this. We're still progressing through the same passage of Scripture. And if you remember a few weeks ago, Jesus enters in, the triumphal entry walks or rides into Jerusalem. And so we have the triumphal entry. People are bowing down and singing praises and laying their cloaks and palm branches. He cleanses the temple, he curses the fig tree, and he gets confronted by the religious elite in the temple. And they want to know. By whose authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right to come in here and overturn our tables and kick stuff around and chase our cattle out of our church? Who, which is weird just to think about, but who gave you the power and the authority to do something like that? And rather than answer them, Jesus tells the story, the parable of the tenants. We talked about it last week. And he says, essentially, 
authority. You want to worry about authority, you should worry about the master's authority because he's going to come and destroy you and give your commission to somebody else because you, religious leaders, are unfaithful servants of the master. They leave because they perceived Jesus was teaching about them and also because the crowd knew he was teaching about them and it was about to get really uncomfortable for them, so they walked away. And a short time later, they, the religious leaders, the chief priests, scribes, the Pharisees, they send another delegation to him. And this time they send a group of Pharisees and Herodians, the Bible says. Now one pastor I listened to this week said, called this an unholy alliance. These guys do not get along. They are not friends. They're like extreme opposites, and yet they're united in their hatred for Jesus. The old phrase here is true, that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. This could be illustrated in terms of football. Here's here's how I will go about this. Now, you guys know me, and you know that my blood bleeds midnight green, that my favorite team is the Philadelphia Eagles. My second favorite team is anybody who plays the Dallas Cowboys, right? So, so... But you also know that I'm not a Giants fan. And in fact, Jim Atkins, I see you back there. Years ago, my daughter was in the nursery, right? She was like a year old. And I went to pick her up at the end of the service, and somebody had placed a, a blue New York Giants t-shirt on this poor child. And I have it under good authority that it was you, sir, you. And I've still remembered. I'm still coming at you. All right, you guys know that I'm not a Giants fan. I'm an Eagles fan. My favorite team is Philadelphia, and I, my second favorite team, like I said, is anybody who plays the Dallas Cowboys. So, for instance, today, this afternoon, this very afternoon, I might even pull out a Daniel Jones jersey. I don't know. I'm going to be the biggest Giants fan you've ever seen this afternoon because the nothing, nothing would excite me more today than to see the further humiliation of the Dallas Cowboys. In fact, the number one phrase muttered in my home every fall, if you ask my children, is, I hate Dallas. Daily, weekly, I mutter it. The second phrase is, throw the stinking ball, Wentz. Throw the ball, right? Those two phrases every Sunday in my home. Today, I am united with you, my beloved people, in our hatred for the Dallas Cowboys, right? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. These two people do not get along, but in this particular situation, they're working together to see Jesus exposed. So why did they come? They come to trap him in his talk. They're still unwilling to give up on this quest to see him outed as a fraud. And even though it hasn't worked yet, they keep trying As they approach Jesus, they go all in on flattering. Do you see how it's over-the-top flattery, actually? I wonder, maybe some of you have been in positions where that's happened to you before. And at first, you don't quite know how to take it. Somebody wants something from you. They want you to, to agree with them. They want you to make a decision that aligns with them. So they start by telling you how great you are. And at first, you're like, yeah, I agree with you. You're full of wisdom. This is good. And then you realize quickly what's going on. And then you get really mad, right? Here's what, here's what happens. Oh, Jesus, we know that you're true. You're, you're a person of integrity. You're honest, they're saying. You're not going to teach us falsehoods. We know that you are true. 
We know that you don't care about opinions, meaning he doesn't cater to people's opinions of him. He's, he's not a teacher that would alter his message in order to make people feel good or, or to simply endear himself to a certain group. He's not a politician. He's not going to alter his message to connect with your heart based on your demographic. You don't care about people's opinions. You care about the truth. What a wonderful thing to say about somebody, by the way. You are unswayed by appearances. You're not, imp- you're not influenced by your reputation or your image. The, the appearance of things isn't as important to you as the depth and the substance of things. And you truly teach the way of God. Do you think they believe that? Of course not. If they actually believed that, they would have repented and followed him. How stupid. They, they, they come filling him with all this praise, and he knows that if they actually believe those things, they wouldn't be here trying to trap him. They would join him and follow him and expand his message. These guys are going to great lengths to set him up. The insincerity of the questioners is seen by the flattery. So they ask him this question to trap him. That's nothing new. It's happened over and over again in Mark. Remember, why don't your disciples wash their hands the right way? Why are you healing people on the Sabbath? Is John's baptism from God or man? Where do you get your authority? And now the question is, do we need to pay taxes or not? What a great question. Those of us who have like, what is it, like 133% of our salaries are taxed right now? For those of us who, we would love that, right? It seems they're working here to get as narrow as possible. Because when they ask him the other questions, he has responded with more questions. Remember? Was John's baptism from man or God? uh, Well, we don't know. Is it, what's better, to heal somebody on the Sabbath? Are you telling me it's unlawful to heal people? Well, well, I I don't know. They're trying to paint him into a corner, and they've learned. They're on to him. They know that if if they ask an open-ended question, they're going to get multiple open-ended questions in return. So they get it as narrow as possible. Jesus, should we pay taxes or no? Is it lawful for us to pay taxes or not? This is a yes-no question. Brilliant. Okay. So now he faces a serious dilemma. And at first glance, we might not understand why it's such a big deal. We pay taxes all the time. And this isn't a libertarian rant about taxes, but seriously, we pay taxes on what we earn, on what we spend, on what we die with. I mean, we pay taxes on everything. So for us, we're like, yeah, what's the big deal? Pay the tax. There, there might be more at play here than what we're thinking about. And the way Jesus answers this question is going to have a tremendous impact on his ministry right now in front of him. So first, what are these taxes that they're talking about? Scholars believe that he's talking about a head tax, a a tax on individuals, a general tax, paid to Rome, and it was instituted around the year 6 AD. During that time, Rome annexed Palestine. And the tax was roughly around a day's wages. And so for us, we're looking at that going, well, it doesn't seem too unreasonable. Just pay it. What's the big deal? But the Jews despised it. And they despised it because the tax was a regular reminder of their position under the thumb and leadership of the Roman Empire. 
a regular reminder that they were bound and subjugated under Roman authority, and that was not the way it was supposed to be. It's not just a matter of paying taxes to our government. This would be like, as funny as this sounds, this would be like the Canadian government annexing the United States, and that's a fight I'd like to see, by the way, a Canadian government annexing the United States and charging us a tax. No. It, it's a frustrating thing because... It's a reminder that they're under the rule and subjugation of Rome. So if he answers the question that they should pay the tax, he risks alienating the crowds who hate the tax but actually kind of like him. So if he says, yeah, pay the tax, all said and done, that's going to incite them, and now, now, they're, now they've got a fight on their hands. But if he says, don't pay taxes, that it's not lawful, it's not right to pay taxes, now he plays right into the hands of the religious leaders. They're going to turn him over to the Roman government and say, he's even teaching people not to pay taxes. And we know that because in Luke, that's one of the charges against Jesus. He told them not to pay taxes, which isn't true at all. Okay. What does he do? Choose wisely. Jesus, verse 15, knowing their hypocrisy, also knows how to answer them. Maybe you'll remember a common theme in Mark's gospel is Jesus' ability to understand and perceive people's hearts and motives. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're saying when no one's looking. He knows their hypocrisy. He knows their insincerity. He knows, he knows they flattered him just to trap him. And now he knows how to answer them. And he says gives a skillful answer in verse 15 through 17. He says, why do you put me to the test? Or why do you keep doing this to me? It's almost like there's a bit of exasperation in his voice. Don't you know, I don't lose these. This, this isn't going to go well for you. Why do you keep doing this to me? He says, bring me a denarius. What's a denarius? It's a common coin, a Roman coin that was in circulation, represented about a day's wages. As we said, that's about what the tax was. He's going to use the coin to teach an important lesson. And he says, as he looks at the denarius, flips it back and forth, he says, whose likeness and inscription is on this? Very important object lesson. The Roman coin he was holding, much like the coins that in our um, circulation, had an image on one side and an inscription on the other. So if you pulled out a quarter today, on one side you'd see the face of George Washington. You'd find In God We Trust inscribed. You'd find E Pluribus Unum inscribed. You'd find the year it was minted inscribed. There, there are inscriptions in the coin and an image or likeness in the coin, right? Not a whole lot has changed. The likeness or the coin was Tiberius Caesar's. And on one side was the phrase, son of the divine Augustus. Augustus is not a name, it's an adjective. The August one. Son of the most high God. Son of the most high divine. Tiberius Caesar was on the coin and the inscription was, basically, he is God, or the Son of God, if you like. And on the opposite side of the inscription was a picture of Caesar, Tiberius Caesar. 
And in that picture, he was seated on a throne. He was wearing a crown, clothed as a high priest, and actually it said under that, the high priest. So he holds up the coin, and everybody's familiar with the coin. They know exactly what's on it. He says, whose likeness and inscription is on the coin. And they say, Caesar's, of course. And then Jesus, looking at them, holding the coin, says, give to, Caesar's, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And render unto God the things that are God's. Okay? He says, pay the tax. Give him his money. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. Give to Caesar that to which he's entitled. And in this case, clearly what he's entitled to is the tax. That's what we're talking about. Jesus says, pay him the tax. But, but he frames that obedience within a greater obedience and says, but make sure you give to God what belongs to him. You want an answer? Fine. Pay the taxes. Submit to this demand of the emperor and give him the money. I'd like, to, I'd like to just point something out that might offend our American ideology, but there is no discussion about the legitimacy of the tax. There's no discussion about the moral implications of supporting a pagan ruler. Just a yes, it's lawful, pay the tax. Give it to him, it belongs to him. And then he adds that extra layer of obedience. He introduces what we have all felt at some time, the tension in the life of the people of God between the kingdom of God and the state, the kingdoms of this world. We have the glorious privilege of dual citizenship. We who are Christians, who have trusted Jesus, are both citizens of a kingdom of this world, a state, government, a nation, and also, if we are Christians, we are kingdom, residents and citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And we have felt the tension from time to time on our hearts about where do we place primary allegiance and how does that primary allegiance play out in the secondary issues of our citizenship here. And they marvel at him because he did it again. How does he keep doing this? They feel like they've got him, like he's trapped, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's gone. They had him. All he had to do was answer yes or no, and somehow still he gets out of it. They marvel at him. So what? What does all of that mean for us today in a politically charged climate, in, in one of the more divisive seasons that I can remember? And I realize there's a there's a recency bias there. I was, I was blessed to not be born and live through the Vietnam era and, and looking back on that season through history, there was great division in our country during that time. I was blessed to, li to live long after the civil rights era and looking back on history, we see great division in our country. We were blessed to not live through the civil war where literally we turned on each other. So I, I realize there's a recency bias there, but it feels very divided right now. So, so what? What do we make of all that? One, it is clear that as Jesus' ministry moves to a more prominent and public sphere, 
the opposition of the religious crowd grows. The more public and out there Jesus gets, the more angry the religious elites become. They despise him. They want to expose him. And this is a good reminder for us that religion is not the same as faith in Jesus. And some of us have grown up in religious circles. Some of us have grown up in churches. Some of us have grown up under the shadow of good steeples. And we gave ourselves to religious duty and yet we didn't have the confidence of faith in Jesus. We learned what it was to play a good religious game. We learned what it was to show up at the right place at the right time, wearing the right clothes, to say the right things. But our hearts had never been awakened and enlivened by the life-giving work of the Spirit through faith in the gospel. Religion is not the same as faith. And actually, religion is one of the biggest barriers to faith in Christ. Because like we sang about today, we have to be convicted of our unworthiness and then look to our worth in Christ. And religion has a tendency to hide from us our unworthiness. Make us feel like because we did a whole bunch of good things, then somehow we're closing the gap between God's holiness and our uncleanness. One of the greatest obstacles to overcome for these folks and for religious people is their religious efforts and the fact that they don't accomplish anything of merit with God. What does accomplish anything is the righteousness that comes apart from the law, according to Romans, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what is needed. So a good reminder here that religious zeal is not the same as faith in Jesus. That's a different thing. Like so many of us, God will need to break them of that religious sense of superiority and expose their emptiness apart from Christ. But a more prominent theme here is the difficult relationship between the state and the kingdom of God. Now please hear me. This is not a full treatment on the biblical purposes and role of human government, although that would be a phenomenal class to take at some point. I would encourage you to read through Romans 13 for a better understanding of some of that. That would be helpful today for your own reference and study. But there are some really important truths that we can grab right here. And the first is this. We can see that Jesus clearly supports a level of submission to human governments. That is not hard to understand. Jesus supports a, 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 um, a clear submission to human governments. Romans 13 would tell us that the governors are actually God's servants for our good, so it's easy for him to make that connection for us. Specifically here, what's in view is the idea of levying, levying taxes against citizens. He doesn't condemn a pagan emperor, and this guy was as godly, ungodly as they come. He doesn't here make submission to the emperor conditional, like you can pay the tax as long as he's your guy, or that as long as you support him, or as long as you voted him emperor, which didn't happen anyway, but you know what I mean. He doesn't make, he doesn't make submission to the emperor conditional. He simply says, give the taxes. Give what belongs to him. And in this case, what belongs to him is a tax. But we can also see that we have not only a duty to obey human governors, but also, and more importantly, we have a duty to obey God. To give to him what belongs only to him. And in this case, what belongs to him is obedience and submission and a life of worship. And this is important for us. 
because obedience to human government is quite often something that works very nicely within the framework of obedience to God. Even when, as you'll know, the human governor, leader, emperor isn't your guy. Most times, this isn't all times, we're going to get to that in just a second, but in general, the vast majority of circumstances, we can find gladness and contentment submitting to human leaders and governments within the broader context of submitting to God. They work hand in hand in a lot of good ways. But I think it's also helpful here to see that there are limits to what demands a government can place upon its people. There are limits to what demands a government can place. Namely, once they cross over the line and demand a person disobey God, or they cross a line and require that people do what, or, or require from people what is only given to God, well, at that point, they're out of bounds. I think Daniel is a prime example from the scriptures. They tell him he's not going to pray to anybody. Please. He opens the window and continues to pray. Peter and John before the Sanhedrin in, in the book of Acts, right? No more preaching about Jesus. Please. You figure out whether it's right for you, but for us, we cannot help but to preach and teach Jesus. So there, there comes a point where when the government, the human government, that we believe God establishes as a gift for human flourishing in society, if it crosses a line and requires people to disobey God, we have a moral obligation, a biblical obligation, to put God in a position of primacy and our citizenship to the state in a position of a secondary nature. In those examples where obedience to the state requires us to disobey God. God is the greater authority. And most times, working within those bounds, we can find gladness in submitting to the state. It is possible and godly for us to do that. That's what it means to live a quiet and peaceful life. To not make a fight out of everything. Now, just for an example, we can use the current situation with our six feet of separation, with our masks, multiple services to make this work, and I wish, I wish I could take you inside the elder team's gatherings and prayer meetings where we have to look at the statistics and information when none of us are medical professionals and try to figure out when is best and how is best for the people of God to honor God and, and meet in a gathering during this season. I can't tell you how many times this phrase came up during the weeks of preparation and prayer and seeking and outside help that we were getting. How many times we said, we have to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Is there a way to do both here? To honor the Lord, to gather God's people, to not, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and still honor what's being asked of us to be good neighbors in the community and the local governments. And when we made that decision, some of us are wonderfully warmed and encouraged by that. And some of us are unhappy and not here. 
we can see how tense these situations get. We can see how, how far-reaching the, the, the uh, effects of these decisions can be. Hopefully you can sense, and maybe you've seen in your own life, your own family, your own business, you've felt the tension. How do I honor God and yield to the state? Is there a way to do both? Is this the time to fight? Up until now, our team and our church, we've decided, no, it's not the time to fight yet. Not yet. Because what we're being asked to do is not restricting us and not hindering us from doing what God is calling us to do. But please know that if it comes to that, the shepherds and elders of your church are fully prepared to yield to God and give to him what belongs to him in a place of primacy. And hope you'll bail me, bail me out if that happens. I appreciate that. Thank you. We have, a, we have a great jail ministry. We know, we know that in most cases we can yield to human governments in a way that honors the Lord and works together. Right? I think we've all felt the tension between the state and the church. One, one thing I want to add in a congregation like this, and this is just free, there's people in this room right now who are all over the spectrum of political ideology. November 3rd is a big day for our country, but we have to live together and honor one another on November 4th until, uh, through the next four years. So as a pastor, as your pastor, as a spiritual leader in your life, can I beg of you to hold your allegiance to God in a primary position and your political ideology in a secondary position. Because the unity of Jesus is at stake here through the unity of his church and the world knows we're his disciples not by our t-shirts, our bumper stickers, or our temporary profile photos. The world knows his, we're his disciples by the way we love one another. And that means I can love you Cowboys fans and be your friend. <laughs> Next week you'll have to sit out back. But yeah. And that also means that wherever you land on the political spectrum, the unity of Christ is more important because the kingdom of God is eternal. The kingdom of America isn't. Our, unity, our citizenship in heaven is more important than the two-party system, which I think is busted anyway. And we have to live through this. And we have to be able to greet one another with humility and love on the other side of this. So by God's grace... Please, your citizenship in heaven is a primary thing. Your political affiliation is a secondary thing. The unity of the church is more important. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and what it teaches us, for its challenge and its encouragement. Thank you, God, that, that up to this point, Lord, we live in a free nation where we can actually honor the local governments and the human governments and in a way that honors you. We thank you, God. We pray especially for our brothers and sisters who are in, in persecution and in, in driven underground in communist nations that are, are tyrannical and not even allowing them to worship. We pray that you'd give them discernment in how to handle those things. What a gift and a blessing to be able to assemble freely and worship you freely. Help that not to be lost on us today. And God, I pray that you'd give us a reasonable, spirit-filled approach to these things as we try to weigh our citizenship between the state and the kingdom.
What a gift it is to be part of both these two great institutions that you've established for, for distinctly different purposes. Lord, I pray that our, our people, that your church here at Newtown Road, that we would be a congregation that takes very seriously the primacy of the citizenship of heaven. May the unity of Christ be the banner over us. Strengthen our unity in one of the most divisive seasons that we can all remember. And through that unity, preach the gospel, God, to this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this point, we'll have to say goodbye to the live stream. Thank you for joining us from your homes, wherever you are. As always, tune in next week, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you get a chance to get out, we'd love to see you here on campus as well. For those of you remaining in the room, let's stand and we'll continue to sing and worship God that way. Thank you.